You are tuning into Pro Bono Perspectives, live from Brooklyn, where the city never sleeps and purpose is more than just a buzzword. Pro Bono Perspectives brings together leaders that have traveled across sectors, industries, and experiences on their path to creating change for the communities in which they live and work. And I'm your host, Danielle Holly, CEO of Common Impact, a national nonprofit that designs skills-based volunteer programs that amplify the impact of social change organizations by harnessing the talents and the skills of private sector employees. I am lucky enough to cross paths with these leaders every day through my work with Common Impact and can't wait to bring you behind the scenes to share their stories. In a few days, we'll recognize the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And in some ways, it is so hard to believe that it has been 20 years. I still can't really wrap my arms around that. But in others, I don't remember the world before it. I was a few weeks into my first job after college at the New York Stock Exchange when the planes hit the Twin Towers. And I looked up and watched the buildings and literally the world as I had known it crumble. It changed how I and many of us thought about service and the importance of civic engagement and education and volunteerism. Era-defining moments like the 9-11 attacks and this past year's global pandemic and racial reckoning have the power to bring people together in a different way, to spur an intense desire to support our communities. I remember I saw that in New York City after 9-11 strangers that were hugging on the streets and sharing cell phones and holding hands. That is not something that you typically see in in New York City. And it wasn't just that day, that tragic day, but in the months that followed. And while some of that dissipated, I think particularly because of some of the more divisive and hateful messages we were getting as a response to the events, it did bring in a new wave of service. And today, as we reflect on the 20th anniversary and the past 20 years, I have the privilege of speaking with Gary Bagley, Executive Director of New York Cares, which is the largest volunteer network in New York City, offering thousands of service opportunities with schools and soup kitchens and senior centers, civic organizations, you name it. Gary is one of the longtime leaders of service in New York, and He's wrapping up his tenure at the end of this year after 17 years of the organization, 10 years in this role, and he shares with us what has changed over his tenure and what comes next for service and volunteerism. Gary, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you back. You are our first return guest. What an honor. I, uh, I, 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 I'm going to celebrate that uh, tonight. It's been wonderful uh, being part of this experience and coming back for another round is, is, is great. Back by popular demand. Back by popular <laughs> demand. So I, I want to start with the, the news that you just announced, Gary, that after 17 years at New York Cares and 12 as executive director, you're going to be stepping down at the end of the year. Tell us about what comes next for you, what comes next for New York Cares. 
Well, uh, thank you. It, it was a very big moment and, you know, a, a lot of thinking went into the decision. Uh, and I have to say, you know, a couple quick observations. Um, my board was absolutely wonderful. I started the conversation um, with them in early May um, that I was thinking I'd like to be, you know, wind down by the end of 2021. Um, and, and there was a really wonderful collaboration there. Uh, for me, you know, New York Cares has been that really special gig we all dream of where my own values, the things that are my own strengths as a, as a worker and as I hope as a leader are the things that New York Cares utilized. And so at a certain point, I always knew that what was next for me uh, would be kind of a, a, a smorgasbord of some things that I both love doing and would like to do more of. And uh, one of those is executive coaching. I think, you know, our sector brings especially new people into roles um, who need a huge amount of support, right? The first time you're an executive director is probably the first time you're managing a board of directors uh, and, and, and being in charge of absolutely every element of an organization. So it's a big adjustment. Um, that actually grows out of a love I've always had for teaching. I teach nonprofit management uh, at Baruch and as well at Columbia at the International Public Affairs School. And so I will continue doing that, but I've loved supporting new leaders, leaders in development, uh, and, and do wanna spend a fair amount of my time with that. The other thing that I really love when I think about you know, those parts of my job that I'd always like to like break off and make a whole job, one of those is uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a strategy geek. I love conversations with senior leadership team, board of directors, uh, donors, external stakeholders about where New York Cares should be going. And I'd love to lead other organizations in doing that. And then finally, because I told you it was a smorgasbord, um, you know, I think one of the things that I've learned, and we'll talk a little bit later about you know, New York cares and our response to COVID, but I've always felt like I come most alive as a leader when I'm managing through the most difficult times, right? Whether that's Hurricane Sandy, whether that's uh, COVID-19. Um, and a lot of organizations go through that kind of challenging time when there's a leadership transition. Um, New York cares is going to have a very orderly transition. Um, you know, my board has had seven or eight months to you know, think about that. They've formed the search committee. They've now hired the search firm. It will be a very orderly and well-managed process. Not every organization um, gets that lucky, right? Like leaders leave when it's not expected. There's a lot of issues. And so um, the idea of stepping in and doing transition leadership is also something that um, after a break, from being a full-time leader, um, I'd like to uh, dip my toe there. So that was a long answer to your short question about what's next. Well, and it's so needed. It's so needed. I love the idea of that because um, often what organizations need are those transitional leaders and they, boards typically select those leaders from the current team, which may be that that is the right path for the 
permanent leader, but um, in the interim period, those leaders that are selected as interim then have two jobs, <laughs> can't do either job effectively. Um, that's not true across the board, but I, I just, in general, I think we, we have a really problematic approach as a sector to that sort of transitional leadership. And of course, it's a natural thing for leaders to leave unexpectedly for all of the dimensions that are, um, that are at play, right? Especially right now in this quote unquote, great resignation world that we're yeah. in. Absolutely. And by the way, I was uh, an internal candidate uh, for the position at New York Cares, and I had shared interim leadership with our then development director. Um, and, you know, it, it is an interesting moment for the organization. And again, our organization had very stable processes. We had a very active board active committees, et cetera. So a lot of, we, we probably were going through that in the best possible um, way. Um, but I do think the other thing that interim leadership does for a board of directors is it's good for an outside set of eyes to come in, right? Because each of us as leaders is good at some things, not as good at others. Certain things get our attention. Other things we don't, we never get to as much as we might have wanted to. And to really understand from the board's perspective, hey, what is the state of the union here? Because one of the things that's so interesting about your role and my role, Danielle, is a board you know, the main information a board gets is from its leader, right? And so uh, I think we all aspire to be transparent, to be clear, to really make sure our board knows exactly what's happening at our organizations. But uh, whether the board member takes it in, in the way you'd like, whether you think to say everything that you wish you had said, Right. right. All of those things. And so that outside set of eyes that isn't invested in who was the leader, who was the board, who was the staff, I think is also a really valuable um, set of eyes uh, for everybody. Right. And a, a take a step back moment, because even if you as the leader have shared everything that you can from your perspective in the right ways and feel like you've gotten um the perspective of your team, you, you don't really, right? Because in this role, you'll never fully get what's on people's hearts and minds in the way that you can in when you take a step back and have that transitional moment as an organization where um, the intent is to create and build the next phase. So an exciting moment for the organization and for you. I don't know how you're going to yes. fit all of that into a single day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the world to tell me what it wants me to do as well. Uh, you know, some of my own plans may not be what the, the plans that the sector has for me. So I, I, I think my first year will be a real exploration of where I add the most value and feel the most gratification from doing. Well, that's exciting. And um, it will be great for the world wherever you end up. Um, I, think, I think the world is telling you that you that you should be on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so I want to look back with you because we are recording this right before the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks in 2001. And I, I still get 
startled when I say that out loud, that it has been 20 years and it's observed as a day of service and remembrance. And I know that's something that you and I and our organizations care deeply about. I remember, I mean, I, on September 11th, I was literally on Wall Street, staring up at the Twin Towers. And I had just started my career in financial services. And that was a moment for me, uh, a reckoning where I had just started. I had, I had carved my path. I had said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this uh, business thing. And uh, I was very excited about my gig on the New York Stock Exchange. And then a couple days later, uh, you know, it changed my world and it really reoriented me towards service and towards a, we've got to fix some of these ills that are, um, that have been hidden and are now being laid to bear. And in some ways, I think the service sector and, and folks own inspiration towards service has been defined by some of these moments. And we just experienced another one this past year and a half, right? Of this yeah. global pandemic and the exacerbating climate change that we literally see every day in the headlines. Talk to me about, you've been at New York Cares for 17 years. How have you seen, how have you seen the organization and service evolve? I think this is such a great question. And I think in, in many regards, you know, we have followed some, I, I think, very important trends um, in our country, right? Which makes sense because as volunteers, we bring our own service and our mentality in the moment to whatever we do. And I, I for anybody who's not familiar with New York Cares, one unique perspective that I think we've always been able to bring is through our entire history, about two thirds of our volunteers are under the age of 35. So a, before New York cares, right in the city, if you were a 20 something and you wanted to volunteer, there were just so many barriers to that. So when New York cares figured out this model that enabled people to serve um, no matter how busy they were, right? You can volunteer once a week, you can volunteer once a month, you can, you know, figure out what issue area, et cetera. There really was a moment when I said, you know, that when I sometimes am teaching, I'll say like, New York Cares was a disruptor, right? It, it, brought, it looked at service in a totally different way and it kind of therefore changed the ecosystem. But what happens then is, and we continue to see this, is that our work also changes with the way the average 18 30 to 34 year old changes. So I'd say, you know, the biggest changes I've seen is, and I think they're very positive, is more over the last three years than any other time in my tenure, people reference their service as activism, right? So I'm reading to a child because this is part of my activism, um, where I think, you know, for years, and this is probably pre-technology, social media that started bringing so many things together more in one space, we would think activism is what I do in a political sphere. It's, you know, writing, 
to the, you know, to my elected officials, it's going to my block association meetings, etc. And then somehow volunteering is something I do that is for social good. Um, and that, by the way, makes me feel good. So I think that is an important one. And therefore, you know, um, uh, we have a, a society that is much more interested in questions of social justice. Um, in, in many regards, I've, I've joked with folks that I think we're going up Maslow's hierarchy, huh. right? Where early on we were just like, I'm so sorry there are hungry people, let me feed them. Right. And now we're starting to go, well, I'm feeding them, but it's the same people over and over again. And what's up with that? Right. Like, yeah. why, why are the soup kitchens filled with the same people? And that's led people to have a broader social justice framework or racial justice framework in their service that directs where they want to serve um, and just the context around their service. I think, you know, one one last thing I'd, I'd say on the topic is, you know, after elections, regardless of the outcome uh, at New York Cares, we would always see a bump in interest from volunteers, bump in orientations, et cetera. Um, and I think there's a moment civically where we all realize, like, we stand in the voting booth, we hit the little button or we now feed our card through. And then we, there's a sense of like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing more. And especially if my vote doesn't deliver the future I'm thinking it should, then what do I do day to day? And so I, I think service as sort of civic life um, more closely associated, I often call it voting with your feet. It's I'm voting for the world I want to see regardless of who won this election. I want to talk to you about the food insecurity and hunger piece that you hit on, because that has been, it's just been phenomenal to watch what yeah. New York Cares has done in the past year. And my uh, amazing colleague who prepares me for these conversations often gives me you know, the tidbits and the stats. And when I first looked at these stats in terms of what you all have done, I thought they were wrong. I said, Emily, go look at these. <laughs> Are you sure? Um, food <laughs> became such a major focus for you. you it went from 35% to 80% of your work. You served 32.8 million meals, a 1,200% increase, yeah. and took over 26,000 new volunteers through orientation. It, wild. How did you accomplish this during the moment that was the pandemic when I'm sure your team itself was incredibly strapped? I'm sure also incredibly motivated. I remember your um, your writing and your publication from that time to see how many folks were interested in volunteering and figuring out how to how to serve. But how did you do that? And are those stats true? <laughs> <laughs> they are true. And just so you know, when the team showed me the stats months and months ago, I had the same reaction. I was like, go back and count again. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's funny, you know, that's like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? But, you know, I, I will say there, there are some, were some lessons from COVID that were 
really, really important. Some of them were, you know, social services messages. And then some of them were also kind of management messages, which, you know, I've always read that, you know, if a team of people understands the direction the organization is headed, that part of what happens is they know that the next thing they're going to do is the right thing to do, right? It's within the scope of the overall strategy. So, you know, early on, you know, the team, I just, like two weeks in, I heard that one of the teams had made calls to 500 organizations that serve the hungry and to see if they needed volunteers. There were a couple big reasons for that. We knew from our partners at New York City Emergency Management and NYC Service that the city knew hunger was going to be one of the top two concerns, uh, the other one being mental health, after public health, obviously, after our physical health. And so the team just went right at that. We had also adopted what we now call Communities First, which is a strategy to be directly more relevant in the neighborhoods, as I say, sadly, we had picked the right neighborhoods because they were the Bronx, Central Queens, and East Brooklyn, which then ended up being the three areas most Im impacted by COVID-19. So the team sort of knew, like, this is where we might be needed. Because as another aside, after the pandemic was officially announced and the lockdown, uh, people were supposed to stay home if they were over 50. So that knocked out a big chunk of our volunteer and leader base. Corporations stopped in-person service. And for the soup kitchens and pantries, they have corporate groups many days of the week. So, you know, a good partner um, of ours, West Side Campaign Against Hunger, up on, on the Upper West Side, I think, I think we did two shifts a week there, generally, kind of helping fill in the blanks. And we're now there, I think it's, it's something like 20 shifts a week, four shifts a day, five days a week, and became their total reliance. So I think, you know, the passion of the team, clear direction of how we wanted to serve. And I think, you know, one of those lessons I learned from Hurricane Sandy is that it was okay for New York Cares to look and say, listen, we can safely flood the world with volunteers who want to serve the hungry. And we can, and this is where we also pushed ourselves, we built out a phone banking system. Team did it, I think, in three weeks. Wow. Um, all the protocols, all the training, different background checks. And we started reaching out to seniors, um, families in transitional housing for tech support, and then eventually to veterans, which was a partnership we had never been able to crack the code on, but COVID-19 delivered that. And I think the team has made about 80,000 calls now since, you know, the beginning of the pandemic. So, you know, strong strategy, a dedicated team. I do want to go back to one of the things you you mentioned, which was probably the hardest part right, of, of dealing with COVID-19. In every other disaster, you were able to work with the team, make sure everybody was safe, and then get to work, right? And, right. and just focus on that. And if anything, you know, after Hurricane Sandy, we'd have to keep pulling the team back and say, like, you need to take care of yourself, right? You can't be out there 12 hours a day. 
Now people are living the same fear as everybody else we're serving. And so, you know, we had a practice of doing daily checking calls with the team. We, we, you know, through our chief talent officer, our director level, just tried to dedicate triple the time to staff care um, that we could because, you know, uh, as 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 people would sometimes remind me, like we're not all working remote. We're working from home during a crisis. That's that's different than oh, I've got a work from home gig, right? It's, it's yeah, a very very yeah. different contract. And so, I I I doubt anybody will feel that we took as much good care of them as we wish we had. But I I hope that that they 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 knew that you know, the organization wanted to be there for them from caring of being both empathetic and then also enabling them to get their jobs done. Well, and really understanding that your team was likely seeing up close and personal what was happening on the front lines of this pandemic, right? Like what the, the degree to which people were without access to the basic food and health care and the needs that um, we have that a lot of us take for granted. And so the, the mental health strain of the world just being in complete flux, but also seeing what it does to the communities that we're working in is, is just an additional toll. And I, I think of it from a, um, a DEI lens as well. I know one of the yeah. things that was, was really present for me and common impact at that moment is how differently individual team members absorbed the situation that we were in, right? Like we had, we had folks that were partnered and settled into their homes and it did, it wasn't a significant disruption to their day to day. We had folks that were partnered and settled into their homes, but had three young kids and it was an incredible disruption an incredible toll. And then we had folks who were newer to their careers and had just started a common impact and um, were, were lonely <laughs> in their apartments, right? Um, young folks that had just come to New York for the first time and thought they were going to have uh, the community of the big city and our small organization and they didn't have either or it felt disconnected and so um would be curious to i know you've done a lot of dei work internally uh, and we've been on a similar journey you and i have had conversations around how we lead that work and and don't as you know white leaders in this space would be curious yeah. how you are thinking about that and, and to kind of pull back the curtain on some of the work that you've done as a, a way to help share and educate the folks that are listening. Uh, absolutely honored to share anything. You know, I, I, I would say, um, you know, between COVID-19, right, we, we became very aware uh, of the disparities, right, in a very real way. And I also think in good ways, um, the news and, and government showed up saying, you know, these neighborhoods have higher incidence. 
and for a reason and naming that reason. So that enabled us in some regards to move kind of faster and more honestly. And then, of course, the racial reckoning following the George Floyd murder. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the entire country, right, was was shaken by that. So a couple observations, and I, I, I want to call out our chief talent officer, uh, Naisha Holiday, was an amazing partner um, in thinking through all of this and, and in building up systems at New York Cares. And so one, uh, one, one bit of advice I have for everybody is don't go this alone. Like it's, it, 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 there's a lot to think about and a lot of discussion and a lot of self-reflection. Right. Because as leaders, we always have to say, why did I show up in certain moments the way I did? Right. And um, and for us leading through these moments, incredibly important. Um, I'd say, you know, biggest lessons I we had that year was we had luckily in terms of timing already started a process. Right. So we were able to look at the moments and. And basically, with all of our stakeholders say, you know, we're not at, we're not an advanced student yet, right? Like we're not a senior in high school. We're a, we're a freshman or a sophomore, but we're doing this work. And here's what that looks like. And here are our goals around diversifying our board, diversifying our team. Um, we trained all board members and staff went through, I think it was six hours of race equity training, right? We've looked at our, reviewed our policies, right? I think some of my most painful moments as a leader, you know, has been uh, believing that I'm living certain values of equity, but then every once in a while seeing like, no, it didn't happen. Right. Like, no, there's, you know, there is a, a pay disparity that you would have never seen from the angle you were looking and you've got to fix that. Right. So um, I think the partner um, really looking at and, and again, you and I've talked about this before, Danielle, it is a capacity that many in the sector under resource, which is human resources itself. Mm -hmm. And those are the folks, you, you know, you need them to go across and look and go, you have 75 people. Here's where I see disconnects between what you say and how you hire, how you pay, um, what the experience is like once you get to New York Cares, right? Um, this experience was built for people who saw the world through the same lens you see it through, Gary. Now, how are you going to make sure it can be seen through many vantage points and that all of those feel welcomed, heard, included? I would say, finally, you know, as you dig through those policies and procedures, the conversations are really hard. Um, you have to kind of leave your ego out of the outside and go, you know what, I've made mistakes and now's the moment I'm going to correct them and they will lead me to the next mistake, which I will correct, you know, a few years after that. Um, but I can say that in the messiness of and necessity of all that, um, that I, I do high level see the work and the culture of the organization moving forward in all the ways we would hope it does. 
it's an exciting moment and I'm sure when you're likely proud of the team and, and yourself as you think about what, what comes next and who the next leader stepping into this role will be to have a, um, a team that is actively working on this day in and day out. It's, it's something that I'm seeing more and more has definitely been something that's a journey for common impact where we're moving from caring about equity deeply and seeing it in our work different from living it every day and asking yourself those hard questions and stepping into those uncomfortable moments with grace and care for your colleagues. And it's, um, it's a, it's a long journey, but it's, it's, thank you for sharing. I know it's, it can feel private, uh, revealing and uncomfortable, but just really appreciate your work in leadership. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's a, it is an, it's an important journey. And as you said, it's until it becomes a personal journey, I don't believe it can really transform an organization, right? It's gotta, it's gotta be very genuine, um, and very personal. So, um, you know, interestingly, um, I am, I, I attend, there's a monthly, kind of CEO group that convenes around work that was done around the People's Institute. And it's just in the New York area. And to show you how important this is to folks, uh, it's it's once a month on Mondays. And there's 130 to 140 people on this call every month. Wow. So there's a community of support. There's a community that wants to learn together. um, And you know, to say this is the single most important issue of our time as we look to work forward, uh, you know, to move our work forward, I think is not an overstatement. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that Common Impact has come to, you know, we were founded actually just before September 11th in the year 2000. And we were grounded in a mission of alleviating inequality and doing that through skills volunteering and capacity building all of that as a means to an end for our ultimate goal of alleviating inequality and as we got closer to that work and continued to do it realized how much racial inequality and inequity really undergirds all other forms right and that that is really fundamental and how we need to um, all be focused on that first and as i see the headlines and the climate change happening in real time, the the environmental justice side of that, uh, again, uh, right, uh, thinking about the, um, the, the racial lens that that is going to have, and the, um, the ways in which it's going to impact our communities of color, much sooner and much more uh, in a much more extreme way than uh, our other communities. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this, um, the value of volunteering report that CECP released in partnership with New York Cares recently. And it made the case that companies should design service programs that are needs-based or community-based and prioritize those versus what has been a hot topic over the past five years, that there is business value, talent development, employee engagement, value to volunteering. And Common Impact, of course, touts that, right? That there is real 
benefit mutually beneficial relationships to be had when you are of service. And what is also true is that the nonprofits and community organizations that you are providing that service to, those needs need to come first. And yes, you can get all of these other benefits, but they can't be the primary driver or design dimensions of these engagements. So, you know, the, um, what is now in our service sector, one of the um, examples we use most is that you don't want a, one company to come paint a fence with a hundred volunteers one day. And then the next day they come, another company comes and paints that same fence because companies are looking to engage their employees. They don't really, um, they're not really worried about whether that that fence needs painting. <laughs> um, and so that's a, a, an extreme example, right? But I think part of what you and CACP uh, are, are pushing against in this report, and would love to just hear your commentary on this um, and how that may have changed over the past year, year and a half. Yeah, it's, it's great. And, you know, it was really uh, going through this report, um, and developing it during COVID-19 was fascinating because we'd actually launched the project, I think the November before. And so somewhere in late March, early April of 2020, the conversation was, this is a different report now, right? And and we agreed that it should be. You know, I'd say one of the things that I, I, um, I, I've often said about volunteering is there there's a virtuous kind of circle here. Right, which is that if our service has an impact, then we start to reap benefits as as human beings who have served. Right. And I almost always say, and I see this with individual volunteers, I see it with companies, like when the goal is, gee, I need to feel good or I need to connect to people, the experience is often disappointing. Right. Because the motivation was, um, you know, was basically self more self centered than other centered. Um, And so, you know, for years I've been telling people, think about what you care about. And then the number one advice I have always given volunteers is think about what you want to do. Right. Like you should have a goal here. But listen. Right. Because often that thing you want to do isn't a thing that the nonprofit or school needs, but there's that they actually have a way for you to sort of scratch that itch you have, but that is more genuine for them. Right. And then you'll go back. And by the way, years ago, we had done the research uh, in our leadership ladder report where we had established levels of volunteer engagement, right? And we did find that people who had started volunteering because they wanted to meet people, because they were asked to as a part of a group, these are folks who didn't do a lot more service, right? They like they like backed out of this um, ladder at a lower level than people who started with wanting to make the world a better place. So um, that had came out in this report. Um, and I will say, I think that companies now, when I'm talking to companies, one thing that COVID and, and again, the racial reckoning have brought together for us 
is, you know, the, there is more desire on the corporate side to think, still think about team building and still think about that business case, but not think of it as the beginning point. It's to look for good activities, meaningful activities that will then also be a, a good team building experience. The other thing I, I would say that I think is different even now from when the report um, was first being drafted is there's also more of awareness that, you know, we're from a brand perspective, from a, um, you know, from a social services perspective, we're like, you know, we're putting 20 people on a bus and sending them into a neighborhood that they're not mindful necessarily about entering. Like they just, they just, it's not that they're unmindful. It's that they literally don't have the tools of cultural competence and for the school or the nonprofit, they're not ready for it. Right. Like you're bringing. And so I think everybody also sees the potential now for, both education and some team building, right? And some vulnerability around addressing some of the questions I think as a society, we're all feeling, right? We don't just walk in to a school in the South Bronx anymore and figure, well, I wanna help, that's enough, right? We, I think we are all starting to get like, it's nice, but not enough. And so I'm hopeful that we'll all work a little bit harder at it. Well, and one of the things that I saw flip pretty quickly in my conversations with companies is uh, an eagerness and a need to listen to what the communities and their nonprofit partners needed in the heart of the pandemic. And I saw a release of grant restrictions. I saw you tell us what you need us for um, much more than I had seen before was typical for the the traditional corporate nonprofit power dynamic and i i think and this might be hopeful but i think a, a lot of that's going to stick around because it bore fruit and it was a you know there are organizations the um, citizens committee here in new york that really leads on participatory grant making and neighborhood grant making where these micro and macro projects are being funded by the folks that are closest to or uh, through the priorities of folks that are closest to the needs of all of these neighborhoods and that that will stick around because it is powerful but it's also just more effective right at the end of the day and i think the more that larger funders gain optics into that, the um, the closer we'll come to having that be more of our funding reality, which I know is something that we all are excited about. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting because, you know, we all know that within our own organizations, a greater diversity of thought leads to better solutions. And so I do, I agree with you that a bit of a balancing between funder and different kinds of funders, nonprofit, and then the, the community voice of the folks that we're serving, like those, the, the more all voices are involved, we're actually going to come up with better social services um, options and decisions. And, you know, I'll make a plug on, on here on the podcast, um, Citizens Committee, uh, Rasan Harris there, 
Melva Miller over at Abney and Joan Steinberg, who heads the Morgan Stanley Foundation. Uh, we did a symposium back in May on how companies should think about showing up during the recovery uh, of New York City. And uh, we're gonna, the band is coming back together in October to, to continue the conversation, what will be five months later. So you're right, like there is a conversation happening. Uh, people are wanting to hear more uh, and learn more. And so I, I think this is from a trend perspective, this is one of the ones where as leaders of organizations in the social sector, we cannot let this one go by us without really seizing the opportunity that it is for us all to be better. And that is a pretty stellar crew you just mentioned. So we'll, we'll stay tuned for, for that symposium in the fall. That is uh, excited to hear that that conversation is happening. So I know I've asked you this before, because you've been on the podcast before, and this is the first time I've asked this twice. <laughs> we uh, we wrap up each of these uh, each of these conversations asking, "What is the the best part of your day?" And would love to hear what what 2021's version of that is for you. It's such a great question, and I'm going to answer with a non-work answer because that's part of my commitment in my own transition, and so. Really, the best part of my day is I love taking the dogs out for their walk. Um, they're crazy. I have two crazy terriers, um, but I'm blessed to be in a green space. So as I say, I you know put on the leashes, we walk outside, and I see green, and I take care of uh, two wonderful dogs, and it's just such a great part of the day. Well, now that I know you have terriers, I'm going to have to definitely take you up on that coffee date because <laughs> I have pandemic terrier and crazy You're is crazy. definitely the way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like when you, just when you thought they were winding down, they're actually winding up. It's crazy. Oh my goodness. It's such a perfect <laughs> way to describe them. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Gary, for, for uh, this conversation today and um, could go on and on, but we'll let you go back to what I'm sure is a packed next couple of months as you wrap up your tenure at New York Cares and just really appreciate you sharing a little bit about your reflections on service and your own transition and all the work that you have done. Just incredibly grateful and excited to hear what comes next in your next chapter. Well, thank you. It's been wonderful to be here and uh, more to come. As you can tell from talking to me, I've got a lot to say. So you and I will have a lot of more, a lot more coffee conversations to come. Stay tuned. Podcast have number three coming up. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Pro Bono Perspectives today. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out our website at commonimpact.org. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Tune in to our upcoming episodes to hear from everyday leaders using their skills to help their communities. <laughs>